you'll take your Bible with me today and if you'll find your place at 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And we're in this series of messages that I've entitled Seven Habits of Deeply Spiritual People. And today we're talking about the subject of serving, as you might have gathered thus far from the music and uh, from the videos. Uh, we're talking about serving the Lord. We've talked about worship and the importance of the gathering of people, the people of God. Uh, we've talked about the scripture and how important it is to read it for ourselves and to hear it taught. Uh, and we've talked as well about these matters that are related to being a deeply spiritual Christian. Prayer is the one we talked about last week. And obviously, by deeply spiritual, we're talking about some, somebody who has a vital a spiritual life. We're not talking about something that's mystical, but we're talking about somebody who has a vital, vibrant spiritual life. Somebody who has a vibrant, vital spiritual life is somebody who plugs in and gets involved and serves. I want to begin reading, if you'll follow along with me, in verse 7 of chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, as we continue today in this series and we move closer to the beginning of a new life group year and our students going back to school and families coming back from vacations, I pray, Lord, that all of us will recognize the importance of all of us plugging in and getting involved and being a part of our local church and serving through the ministry of our church. Lord, clearly there's some people who have providential hindrances. They're not able to do some things because of those hindrances. But, Lord, for most of us, it's just a matter of us finding our place and committing ourselves and getting involved. And I pray, Lord God, that you'll help us to see the significance of that today, that all of us will do our part in reaching out to our community and to our world and caring one for another within the body of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to start today by just saying thank you. You know, we don't say that enough, but I want to say thank you to everybody who serves so faithfully and so honorably in our fellowship. We have dozens and dozens, literally hundreds of people over the course of uh, any month that are involved in various different capacities doing all kinds of things. You met some of them coming in on the parking lot today, others that were inside the building when you got here. While we're meeting here together, you got people downstairs that are working and caring for our children and for our babies, and it just goes on and on. There's always something to be done. There's always areas of service in which to be involved, and I want to say thank you to everyone who has given himself or herself to help us. 2020 was a very difficult year. I don't know if you know that or not. I'm sure you do. 
Uh, it was a very difficult year trying to figure out how you're going to do these things that you used to do and you can't do because you can't be in one another's presence. And there were a lot of people who stepped up and uh, they came alongside us and they said, here, let us help you. And we are so thankful for all of that help. And then since 2020, uh, many others have joined the team and we're very grateful for all of you. And you know, it's not that I can bring every one of you forward and say, this one does that or that one does this, but it's for me to say from the depths of my heart, no church goes forward without her people saying, we're going to do the work of ministry. We're going to get involved and we're going to do what God has called us to do through the local church. And I want to say thank you to so, so many of you. And then I want to challenge the others of you who haven't gotten involved to say, you know, this is my time. This is my opportunity. This is the place where God wants me to serve and where God wants my life to make an eternal difference. And I hope that as we go through today that you'll be thinking about where God could use you in his service, in the advancement of his church. You know, there are people that are serving in local churches who are not deeply spiritual people. Uh, hopefully you didn't meet any of those coming in today. Uh, but likely, if you're in a church for any length of time, you know that there are some people that are serving that are not deeply spiritual people. But let me tell you something that I've observed. I've observed that those who are deeply spiritual people are inevitably, they are inevitably serving God through their local church. And that's the way God intended it to be. That's the way God set up his church. Now, a lot of people think what you do is you call pastor, a pastor or pastors to do the work of the ministry. But that's not what the scripture says. In Ephesians chapter 4, just reading from the New Living Translation, listen to this one little phrase. It talks about the, the, the prophets, the, the uh, apostles. It talks about the evangelists and then the pastors, teachers. And it says their responsibility, those that have been given to the church to lead the church, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work. Did you hear that? Now, I have a role to play in the ministry. I have a job to be done in the cause of Christ. And it's not just that I stand here and equip, and that's all that I do, but my responsibility, my primary responsibility, and that of all of our pastoral staff, is to equip everybody to be able to go to work in the ministry that God has given to us. And he goes on to say that we're to build up the church, the body of Christ. We're not supposed to be tearing it down. We're supposed to be building it up. And we build it up when everybody gets involved and everybody does his or her part. And we all are functioning within the body, doing what God has given us to do. But unfortunately, there are too few people that are willing to do his work in our churches today. I guess you've been to a restaurant lately and they've got help wanted signs. You've been to a business somewhere and you wondered why you had to wait so long because they had so few employees. And I know unemployment is down to one of the lowest levels it's been in a long, long time. But I've got news for you. There are a lot of people that still aren't working. They're still waiting. And that's not only true in the work world. That's true, true as well in the church world. It was Jesus who said, look, the, the, the harvest is plenteous. But what did he go on to say? The laborers are few. There was a man that was leaving the church after a Christmas service when the pastor greeted him and said, Jim, it's time you joined the army of the Lord. We need to see you every Sunday. And Jim replied, 
I'm already in the army of the Lord, Pastor. And the pastor asked, then, why do we only see you on Christmas and Easter? (laughs) And Jim looked to the right, and then he looked to the left, and then he leaned over, and he whispered to the pastor, I'm in the secret service. (laughs) (laughs) There are too many people that are in the secret service when it comes to participating and being a part of God's church, especially when it comes to the matter of us serving God through his church. And so I want to take you into 1 Peter for a few minutes, chapter 4 here, and I want us to talk about some things that Peter discusses related to the matter of serving. We're going to look at three specific things, and I hope that if you're taking notes that maybe you'll uh, write these things down to remember them later on. We, We want to begin by talking about the command about serving. If you look back at verse 10, what he says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. He he doesn't say this is a choice or an option. He says this is a command. Whatever gift you've been given, you're to minister it to one another. Inevitably, somebody says, what does it mean to minister? Well, the Greek word literally means to wait upon. It means to serve. Let me give you some examples of places where it's used. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus had been 40 days and 40 nights fasting. He was preparing for his ministry that God had for him over the next three and a half years. Satan had come to him, and Satan had tempted him. And you know, he turned away the temptations of Satan by using the word of God. And then it says in verse 11, then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Now, can you imagine for a moment the angels of heaven coming and serving you? Can you imagine for a moment the angels of heaven coming and ministering to you? But that's exactly what the angels of heaven had done after he had gone through the temptation with Satan. Or think about Mark chapter 1 where the word is used. Verse 31, Simon Peter's mother-in-law was sick. And Jesus heard about it. And Jesus says, we want to go to that house. And he gets there and she's very ill. But she re- he reaches out, takes her by the hand, and he lifts her up. And immediately, it says, the scripture says, her fever left her. Now listen to the phrase, and she served them. And she served them. Now I don't know what she did. I imagine after uh, coming out of that a terrible condition she had been in. The first thing she wanted to do was make sure that Jesus and everyone with Jesus was comfortable. They had a convenient place to be seated. Maybe she began whipping up a meal, putting food together. She wanted to make sure they were fed, but she served them. Or think about Philemon, verse 13. Uh, Philemon had a slave, and he escaped. He goes to the apostle Paul, didn't know at the time the greatness of the Apostle Paul, but he's in the company of the Apostle Paul. Paul wins him to faith in Jesus Christ and sends him back and says, this is no longer your slave. This is your brother in Christ. Treat him accordingly. But in the process, he doesn't want really for this man to go back. Now listen to what he says, Paul writing. I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is my own heart, whom I wished to keep with me That on your behalf, Philemon, he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. You see what he's saying? I'm under arrest. I'm under house arrest. I can't go anywhere. And this man has been serving me. He's been helping me. He's been ministering to me. I'd like to keep him. I'd like him to stay here, but I'm going to send him back. And you treat him as a brother when he gets back. Now, what does it mean to minister? It means simply to serve. 
It means that we look for the opportunities that are around us in order to do something good for someone else and to someone else and to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you notice when he talks about the command about serving what he has to say? He says our ministry, first of all, is to be according to the gift of God. Back again to verse 10. As each one has received a gift, minister it. That is the gift to one another. God doesn't expect us to do something he hasn't gifted us to do. If I were to say to you this morning, I'm expecting you to deliver the message today, some of you would pass out in the pew, right? Or you have to sing the songs today. You're going to be leading the music today. You'd pass out in the pew, wouldn't you? That's, that's not your gift. God didn't give you that gift, but God has given to every person here a gift. Every one of you has a spiritual gift imparted to you. The Bible talks about them. There's the gift of giving and the gift of mercy. There's the gift of teaching or the gift of administration. There's the gift of prophecy, and that's not predicting the future. That's proclaiming the truth. There's the gift of serving. There's the gift of exhortation, and the list can go on. The fact of the matter is that God has given a gift to you and you're supposed to be serving and, and ministering to others according to that gift. But then you'll notice secondly that our ministry is to be among the saints. Again in verse 10, as each one has received a gift, minister it, that is that gift, to one another. It's to be among the saints. Uh, in other words, your gift God has given to you is for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. Your gift is for the purpose of helping the church to do the work that God has given her to do. That little phrase, one another, is yeah, two English words to us, but it's one Greek word. It's used 100 times in 94 New Testament verses, and 47 of those deal with instructions that are given specifically to the church. Listen to this. One-third of the one another commands deal with the unity of the church. One-third of them instruct Christians to love one another. And 15% stress, about 15%, stress an attitude of humility and deference among believers. In other words, we're supposed to be exercising our gift among the body of Christ where we're bringing unity to the body, where we're blessing the body, where we're building up the body of Christ, where we're helping the church to advance to accomplish the cause that God has given us to do. Some of those one another phrases that are found in your New Testament says, love one another, care for one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, help one another, counsel one another, Support one another, forgive one another. You want me to read all 47 to you? We need them, don't we? And we're supposed to be using our gifts. You say, well, surely my gifts are intended to be used outside the church. Well, yes, but your first responsibility is using the gifts that God has given to you inside the church among the body of Christ for the building up of that body. There's a verse that's often misunderstood and misapplied. It's found in John chapter 13, verse 35. It's what Jesus had to say to his disciples as he was facing his crucifixion. He said, by this all will know that you are my disciples. Now, we want all to know that we're his disciples, right? 
We want all to know that we're his disciples, right? We want all to know that we're his, his disciples. So how did he say we could do that? If you have love for one another. Now, he didn't talk about love for the world. Those that are lost, we ought to have that love. We ought to have love for our neighbors. Here's how he said you'll know if you, people will know that you're my disciples if you love each other. That's pretty good, isn't it? It'd do us a lot of good in a lot of our churches today if we just learn to love each other. I wrote it this way, and I posted it on social media. Christians should treat each other so well that even if people outside the church are skeptical about what we believe, they long to be loved the way we, are, the way we love each other. Even if they look inside and say, you believe that? Or you believe What? They say, in addition, but I want to tell you something. I'd like to be a part of a people like that who love each other and who care for one another and who encourage each other as you encourage one another. We're supposed to be using our gifts among the body of Christ in his church and through his church for the advancing of the cause of his church. There's a third thing. Our ministry is to be as a steward of God. It's according to the gift of God and among the saints of God, and it's as a steward of God. Notice again chapter 4, verse 10. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. In other words, we have to discover our gift, we have to develop our gift. And we have to deploy our gift, and we have to do that because we're going to answer to God for the way that we've served or the lack thereof. We're going to answer to God for the way that we've served. When you think about stewardship, think about the parable of, of Jesus where he talks about Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. Now, I understand talents is a sum of money. To one was given, given five talents, to one was given two talents, and to another was given one talent. But that parable illustrates the significance of stewardship. And it applies to us when it comes to the gifts that God has given to us. Think about it for a moment. The one with five talents did what? He took it and he multiplied it and he brought back ten. The one that was given two took it and he multiplied it and he brought back four. But the one with one talent, he was afraid that the master would be too hard on him and that if he lost it, it would have been a terrible thing for him. So he takes it and he buries it. And when he comes back, he comes back with the one talent. And God says that he is the one who is the wicked servant because he didn't take what God had given to him and risk it. I mean, risk it by faith, but risk it for the cause of Jesus. Risk it for the master. Listen, you take your gift, you invest it in the church, you do so even though it might be a risk in some cases for you to step out of your comfort zone and to get involved in some capacity knowing that one day you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to say to God, this is what I did with what you gave me. Will he be pleased or will he be displeased? It won't determine whether you get into heaven or not. That's determined by whether you've trusted in Jesus or not. But it'll determine the rewards that you receive or not. And when you stand before the Lord one day, how will you, as a steward of the gift that God has given to you, how you have used it amongst his people for the furthering of the church. How will you stand before God and will you be rewarded when that time comes? 
But secondly, let's talk about the concept of service that's mentioned here. You notice verse 11 what he says, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. In other words, the Apostle Paul in talking about, excuse me, Peter, in talking about these gifts uses two broad categories. He has one category that are the speaking gifts. He has the other broad category, which is what I'll call the silent gifts. There are those who have public ministry, and there are those who have private ministry. But let me explain to you what I mean by public or silent. I mean, they don't need the limelight. They they don't want to be put in the limelight. They don't need anybody to recognize them or acknowledge them. They're happy to serve in the shadows where nobody else sees them, and they just are doing what they're supposed to be doing because they want to serve Jesus with all of their hearts. But then there also has to be those who are willing to step forward and who are, who are willing to speak out and those who are willing to use their gifts in a public fashion so that people have leaders to be able to follow. And he takes these two extremes. Now, the reality is you will fit somewhere between those two categories. How many of you like to speak and don't mind being heard when you speak? Raise your hand. Okay, we got several across the room. And how many of you don't like to speak and you would just as soon nobody ever say anything and you not have to ever say anything? You like being in the shadows. Raise your hand. Yeah, there's a lot more of those. And that's okay. Somewhere between those two categories is probably where you are. Your gift may require you to speak sometime, though most of the time you serve behind the scenes. Or your gift may require you to be public in your service to God and the use of your gift, though you also serve behind the scenes quietly as well. But God intends for us to use our gifts, whether they're speaking gifts or whether they're serving or silent gifts, whether they're public in nature or whether they're more private in nature. Most of us will fit somewhere between those two categories and actually discovering your role in service can be easier than you think. You just need to get into shape. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking you're talking about the gym, aren't you? No, no, I'm not talking about the gym. What do you mean by shape? I didn't develop this acronym, so I don't claim it for my own, but I have used it hundreds, if not thousands of times to help people to be able to find their place of service to Jesus Christ. You take the word shape and use the letters. The letter S stands for your spiritual gift. Everybody's been given a spiritual gift. We were just talking about that. Everybody's been given a spiritual gift. There's the letter H. That stands for heart. What do you love to do? What really causes you to be passionate? What do you want to do more than anything else? The letter A stands for abilities. Uh, You have gifts and talents and abilities. You just heard from Reagan a little while ago. One of her abilities is singing. Uh, We had a man in our church... uh, Some of you will remember uh, Wayne Reed, Wayne and Sarah Reed, uh, members here when I came to the church and a part of this congregation. Now, Wayne never preached a sermon. Uh, Wayne uh, never never sang a solo. I don't know if he could even sing, but he was always faithful. He was always in the services, and you realize that many of the things that needed construction done in the early days of our church before Wayne went to heaven, do you realize that his hand, his, his fingerprints, and his handprints are all over it. 
He took his abilities and he used those abilities to serve God. The letter P stands for personality. Everybody has a different personality. I tell people, some people shouldn't work with teenagers. You're, you're too militaristic. You, it just won't go well with teenagers. Some of you should work with children, and you shouldn't work with adults, and some should work with adults, but you shouldn't work with children. It depends on personalities. And then experiences. The letter E stands for experiences. And that's your shape. God has shaped you with a spiritual gift, with a heart for something, with abilities Uh, with this personality that he's gifted you with, with with experiences that you've had in life. And God says, I want you to use what I've given to you, the way I've shaped you, and I want you to plug it into ministry. If everybody did something, then nobody would have to do too much. If everybody did something, then nobody would have to do too much, right? And yet how often do we find people being burned out because they have more than they really should have to be taken care of because there's not enough people to step up and say, I'll help and I'll be a part and I'll serve in this capacity. I want you to remember something. You don't judge the strength of an army by the number of soldiers who sit and eat in the mess hall. Rather, you judge them by how they perform on the front line. Likewise, the church's strength is not just seen in how many show up for services, but in how many serve in the ministry. So if we have uh, 700 or 800 here today and we have 100 serving, does that mean we've succeeded? I don't think so. We've succeeded when all 800 those that are not providentially hindered, all 800 are involved in some capacity serving God through, his local, through the local church. God intends for us to serve. But let's talk thirdly about the condition for service. The condition for service. I want you to notice again verse 11. He says, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God gives, that in all things, that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory, belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I want you to see, first of all, our authority resides in God. He says, those that speak according to the oracles of God. The oracles of God is the revelation of God. The revelation of God is the word of God. We serve according to his word. Our abilities result from God. Not only our our authority resides in God, our ability results from God. It says, which God supplies. Aren't you grateful that God gives these gifts and empowers you to use them? And then he says, our aspiration reaches to God. Why, Why do we serve? Because we want God to be glorified. Now, I've gone through the technicalities of this message. And for the next few minutes, I want you to listen to me carefully. Several years ago, I was reading through John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. That's the passage that's just before Jesus goes to be crucified. And Jesus is in the upper room, and they're going to have a meal together. And they sit down around the table. I say sit down. They stretch out on the floor uh, uh, around that table. Their feet are extended behind them. And as the custom was, there would be somebody there who would wash the feet of those who were in the room, normally a servant who would be there to wash the feet. But there was nobody to wash the feet that day. Uh, They walked these dusty roads. Their feet, feet got dirty through the sandals that they wore. You can imagine 
But there was nobody on this particular day to be able to wash the feet of the disciples. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus leaves the table himself. He gets up. He puts a towel around him. He takes a basin of water. And one by one, he begins washing the disciples' feet. One by one, all the way down, even Judas's feet. He washes the feet of the disciples one by one. Of all the things that you can think of that exemplify the service of Jesus, this is one of the top five. The crucifixion being the ultimate, this is one of the top five illustrations of what it means to serve, to minister to others. He got up from the table and he washed feet. I was thinking about that passage of scripture and I began writing down. I don't believe that I was inspired, but I was motivated to write down 13 statements. They're going to be on the screen about what it means to serve Jesus. And I hope you'll take note of them. Uh, You can get them later. If you don't have them, if you can't write them down quickly enough, I hope you'll pay attention to them. These are observations I made about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Number one, he never complained that his own feet weren't washed. You know what most of us would have done? We just said, well, it's just not right. Somebody should be here to wash the feet. I mean, I was expecting somebody to be taking care of this. Why isn't somebody washing my feet? You don't see Jesus ever doing that. Number two, he didn't use his busy schedule to justify not serving. I don't think any of your schedules are as busy as Jesus' schedule. Nor were you facing what Jesus was facing Jesus was facing his impending crucifixion on the cross of Calvary. Number three, he saw a need and just got up and met it. I mean, he's sitting at the table. He could have said, hey, Peter or John or Andrew or Nathaniel, would you guys get up? Pay attention here. Our feet aren't getting washed. What does he do? He doesn't say anything to anybody else. He just gets up and meets the need. Number four, he set aside his own desires in order to serve others. He set aside his own desires in order to serve others. Number five, he was not deterred by the nature of the task to be done. Now, I know that some of you have a foot fetish. You love feet. I can't think of anything more ugly than feet. At least my own. But here's Jesus doing something that you might have thought, washing feet? I mean, yes, healing the sick, yes, giving sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf, yes, but washing feet. But there was no task that was beneath Jesus. Number six, he did not let misunderstanding stop him from serving. What were the disciples doing prior to this? They were arguing, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And even when Jesus begins the process, Peter objects. But he doesn't let those misunderstandings stop him from serving. Number seven, he was not intimidated by the opposition of some. Just because Peter objected didn't mean he was going to quit. Number eight, he served in spite of the hardships facing him. Can you think of a greater hardship than the crucifixion? He's going to go out from this room, out to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's going to do what? He's going to sweat drops of blood. And then he's going to the cross of Calvary and he's going to suffer the most ignominious death anyone has ever died. 
And yet he didn't let the hardships keep him from washing the feet. Number nine, he finished the task without any thanks being given. When you read John 13, do you hear any of the disciples say, thank you, Jesus? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for doing this. I should have done that. Thank you, Jesus. Not a one. Number 10, he did not stop until he had completed the task. I mean, there's 12 men there that day. That's, uh, you know how many feet that is? That's 24 feet. And he didn't stop till the task was done. He could have said, you know, now I've shown two or three of you. Now the rest of you finish this job. He didn't do it. Number 11, he never heard an offer from others to help. (laughs) He never said, uh, nobody ever said, Jesus, stop, 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 stop. Give me the bowl. Give me the towel. Nobody ever tried to stop Jesus from doing what he was doing. And number 12, he still didn't have his own feet washed when he finished. But Jesus got up, and Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And Jesus comes to you and to me, and Jesus says, you're supposed to be serving like I served others. He says, look, I've given you an example. He's not talking about foot washing. He's not saying that we have to have a foot washing service today. He says, I'm giving you an example. When I talk to you about what it means to serve God, this is what it means. You just get up and you plug in. Whether anybody recognizes, whether anybody objects to it, you just do what God's called you to do, what God's gifted you to do, and you do it until it's complete and you don't stop. And maybe when you get through at the end, your needs aren't met. But in the process, you've met everybody else's needs. And by the way, that's one of the most blessed places in life you can find yourself. Rick Warren is a pastor out in Southern California. And I think he's done as good a job as any that I know of in mobilizing his people to ministry. I want to read you something that he wrote. He said this, God created, saved, called, and commanded you to live a life of service. We are only fully alive when we're helping others. If we're not serving, we are just existing because life is meant for ministry. God wants you to learn to love and serve others unselfishly. He continues, the old comparison between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea is a good one. Galilee is a lake full of life because it takes in water but also gives it out. In contrast, nothing uh, nothing lives in the Dead Sea because with no outflow, the lake has stagnated. Serving is the opposite of our natural inclination. Now, please listen to that one phrase. Serving is the opposite of our natural inclination. He continues. Most of the time, we're more interested in serve us than in service. We say, I'm looking for a church that meets my needs and blesses me, not I'm looking for a place to serve and be a blessing. We expect others to serve us, not vice versa, but we are mature in Christ. But as we mature in Christ, the focus of our lives should increasingly shift to living a life of service. The mature follower of Jesus stops asking the mature. Is that what we're talking about? These seven habits of deeply spiritual people? 
The mature follower of Jesus stops asking, who's going to meet my needs? And starts asking, whose needs can I meet? Now, understand something. When we're young in the faith, we're babies in Christ, we have to have a bib. That's important. I mean, you want to keep all that food you're being fed and you can't keep in your mouth from getting all over your clothes, right? But at some point, you expect a child to turn in the bib and put on the apron and get in the kitchen and go to work, right? You expect them to do that. That's the intended purpose of all points. Number one, keep a notepad near you to write down extraneous thoughts and the insights God gives you. Keep a notepad near you to write down extraneous thoughts and the insights God gives you. As soon as you decide, I'm going to start spending a consistent time with God in prayer. You know the first thing's going to happen? The devil's going to pack your mind full of every possible thing to distract you. Oh, did I turn off the stove? Oh, man, did I leave the car running? Was I supposed to pick up the kids this afternoon? What time is that ball game supposed to take place? Was I supposed to be at that women's meeting or that men's meeting? A thousand things will come to your mind. You take a pad, and you know what you do when those things come to your mind? You discipline your mind by writing them down. Check this when I get through. Check this when I get through, and then you just keep on praying. But you know something else? A lot of times when you're praying to God, you want to have that pad there because God's going to show you something while you're praying, and you want to write down what it is he tells you when he speaks to you. Number two, don't worry too much about the technicalities of prayer. Just talk to God as your father and friend. I mean, if somebody is your father and somebody is your friend, I mean, do you spend a lot of time measuring, oh, how am I going to approach them? What am I going to say? Should I use these words or I not use these words? Should I tell them this? Should I not tell them that? What am I going to? I mean, do you do that kind of technicality? No, because they're your father. They're your fathers. They're your friends. You come openly and freely, without all the technicalities, just talk to God. I love uh, to read Max Lucado. A lot of people like Max Lucado. I think because of his content, obviously, but because he's a storyteller. He loves to tell stories. But Max Lucado writes in his book, When God Whispers Your Name, these words. Do you want to know how to pray, how to deepen your prayer life? Pray. Don't prepare to pray, just pray. Don't read about prayer, just pray. Don't engage in discussion about prayer, just pray. Posture, he goes on to say, tone and place are personal matters, but don't think about it too much. Don't be so concerned about wrapping the gift that you never give it. Better to pray awkwardly than not at all. Amen? Number three. When you don't know what to pray, when you don't know what to pray, just wait quietly before God in silence. When you don't know what to pray, by the way, you can, you can organize your prayer life. You could take Monday and let that be the day you pray for your family members, all of them. You could take Tuesday and let that be the day you pray for your friends. You could take Wednesday and pray for your church and the leaders in your church. You could take Thursday and pray for the sick and the hurting and the shut-in. You can take Friday and you can pray for your neighbors that are right next door, that God will open doors for you to share the gospel with them. You can take Saturday, the last day of the week, and pray for yourself. And you can take Sunday and you can use Sunday as the day to say, Lord, I just want to come to 
praise you today. I got no request today. Just want to praise you. I want to thank you for who you are. I want to thank you for what you do. I want to thank you for what you've done. I want to thank you for your greatness, for your glory, for your majesty. I want to thank you for the songs that we sang. I want to thank you for Jesus. I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for my brother and sister in Christ who helps me to lift my heart to you. And you just thank God. But when you don't know what to pray, you don't close the book and say, okay, I'm done. I don't know what else to say. You stay there in the silence of those moments for the time that you were intending to pray. Because Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27 says, For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You like that? When you don't know what to say, you know who's praying for you? The Holy Spirit's praying for you. And you stay there and you pray. Number four, make prayer an unceasing practice, not a special event. Make prayer an unceasing practice, not a special event. What does Paul say in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17? Pray without ceasing. You know what that means? That means when you got in your car today, you say, Lord, thank you for my car that lets me drive the church. When you got the church, you say, Lord, you know, I'm sitting next to some dear friends of mine. Will you bless them this week? Will you watch over them? When you pass by that neighbor that you know has been sick, you say, Lord, my neighbor is really sick. He or she really needs your help and your intervention. Or you think about your parents and you think where they are. You say, Lord, bless my parents. They were so good to me. They watched over me and loved me and raised me and provided for me. When you think about your, your, your employment, you say, Lord, thank you for the gift of employment. Thank you that I have a job. When you ride by a place where there's flooding like there's been in, in, in Kentucky and South, uh, uh, Southwest Virginia and over into Virginia, Lord, will you please help those people in their time of need? Lord, will you help them through me? I mean, there's lots of things to pray about, and you just keep praying. You just make it a constant. Everything becomes a, everything becomes a matter of, of, of talking to God. Isn't that what deepening a friendship is about? Have you ever seen, now, men, we're going to have a little harder time understanding this, but have you ever seen two women who haven't seen each other for a while but are the best of friends get together after having been apart from one another? Have you? And men, don't you stand there in utter amazement and say, the, the, the sentence they left off a month ago, they pick up in that conversation. Amen, ladies. They got no problem carrying on a conversation. We men need to learn a little bit more of that. Praying, prayer always allows us, always allows us to live re relationally with God. Living relationally means that you can learn to talk to God, to listen to God, to think about God throughout your day. It's not just about bringing God a grocery list of things you want him to do. It's about a friendship. I just want to talk to you today, God. I just want to tell you what's going on. I was going through a tough time several years ago, and one of the men of our church took me to the mountain of God. He's got, I don't know, 100 acres or so out in the, well, I don't even know if it's on the planet. It's somewhere. <laughs> I think we had to be airdropped in. It's further out than this city boy is used to, that's for sure. And then he put me in this coat. It was cold, this, you know, warm thing that you put around you that, makes you look like a hunter. You think I look like a hunter? <laughs> and then he put me in that four-wheeler. That four-wheeler. Did you hear what I said? This is not a golf cart. <laughs> this four-wheeler. And we start off up the mountain till we get on top of the mountain. 
We met with God up there on top of that mountain, didn't we? We met with God up there on the top of that mountain. You know what? You just pray without ceasing. Why? Because God wants a relationship with you. God wants to spend time with you. He wants you to talk to him. He wants you to share what's on your heart. He wants it to be something that's ongoing. Think about God throughout your day. You just talk to him. If you're waking up in the morning, if you're getting ready for work, if you're driving to the office or to school, if you're sitting in your favorite chair, if you're going on a walk to participate in your favorite activities, or you're relaxing in your favorite place of rest. You know, some days you just sit down in that chair that you love, uh, that's like the old pair of shoes that you got that are just the most comfortable things you've ever imagined, and you just say, thank you, Lord, that the end of the day has come, and I get to relax. Are y'all still with me? Number five. Now listen carefully. Maybe the most important thing I'm about to tell you is right now. Ask God to change you, not just your circumstances. Ask God to change you, not just your circumstances. Isn't it strange that when we pray, we ask God to change our circumstances, but seldom to change our character? You understand that praying is a little, little bit like going out fishing. If you, if you got a boat hook and you throw it out and it catches hold of the shore and you pull that boat hook as hard as you can, do you pull the shore closer to yourself or do you pull yourself closer to the... What are you doing with your praying? You're aligning your will to the will of God. It's not just about getting what you want. It's about saying, not my will, but thine be done. Listen, God wants us to pray. You say, is it really that simple? Yeah, it's really that simple. It's just talking to your friend. It's just talking to your father. For many years, every Saturday, this is before cell phones. Remember the first cell phone? It was a big old bag phone. It had a big old hand, and it had this antenna that stood about this tall. And they said it put out about three watts of power, and it might cause cancer in your car. <laughs> Remember that? But before there were bag phones and before there were cell phones, every Saturday my dad would, would call me on the phone, and we'd spend about 30 minutes talking, 25, 30 minutes talking on the phone. Can I tell you, you've got a father in heaven who wants you to call him, and he wants you to talk to him. He wants you to talk to him. You got that friend that you can't wait to connect with? I, I see some of you posting on social media. You go meet your friends. You hadn't seen them for a long time, and it's like you've been together. You've never been apart at any moment. Do you realize you got a friend like that in the God of heaven? About 25 years ago, I was ministering to a family, and the lady was diagnosed with cancer. She didn't know what the outcome would be of her cancer. She said that she had written down her prayer, her ultimate prayer, and she handed it to me on this piece of paper. She said, if I don't make it, I want you to read this prayer at my memorial service. She did last for a while, and ultimately she succumbed, and she's in heaven today. But I've asked Angie to read this prayer. It's on the screens here in a moment. And while Angie's reading that prayer, I'm asking my wife to come to the piano. And I want you to listen to this heart, this woman pay, pouring out her heart to God. Don't hear Angie's voice. 
hear Sally's voice while she's praying this prayer. All of us, yes, when you're a young believer, you may need that bib, but you're supposed to grow up. And when you grow up, you're supposed to put on that apron and say, you know what? Where's my place of service? Where can I give my gifts and my talents and my abilities and use my personality and my experiences to be a blessing to others? And can I just say something to those of you that are in my age bracket and above? Faithful servants never retire. You can retire from your career, but you will never retire from serving God. You may have to change the way you do certain things. You may have to do different things than you were doing. But as the children of God, no matter what our age is, we never stop serving the Lord. Do you realize men and women that are starting to see, you know, the finish line ahead that the reality is your life still matters and God still wants to use you in the building up of his church. So let me give you five points of application this morning. Number one, start now, not later. Start now, not later. I know somebody's thinking, well, I'm going to home and think about this a little while. I'm going to turn it over in my mind, and, and I'm going to, you know, a week or two, maybe three down the road, I'm going to plug into something. Once school starts back then... You realize that you likely will never get involved that way? Start now, not later. Say, I want to give myself to the service of the Lord right now. Number two, if you see a need, meet a need. Here's what too many people do. They see a need and they say, Pastor, do you see that need over there? What are you going to do about it? If you see the need, God's calling you to that need. If you see the need, there should be the recognition you need to be involved in meeting that need. If you see a need, meet a need. Number three, be a team player, not a lone ranger. Be a team player, not a lone ranger. We're building his church together. We have to work with one another. You can't be an outlier. I'm going to do my own thing, go my own way. Nobody can tell me what to do kind of a life. We have to work together. Let me ask you this morning, one of the illustrations that the New Testament gives of the church is of a body. What would it be like this morning if your arm said, you know what, I'm just going to do my own thing today. I don't know what the rest of the body is going to do, but I'm going to do my own thing today. It would handicap the rest of your body, would it not? Are you all with me? It would handicap the rest of your body. Every member of the body working together, and when there, aren't members that are, when there are members that aren't working as they should, it handicaps the rest of the body, doesn't it? Be a team player, not a lone ranger. Number four, make a commitment others can count on. Well, I'm going to make a commitment, but I'm not sure I can be there two weeks from now, and maybe four weeks I'll have to be gone again. And then, you know, I never know. My girlfriends or my, my, my friends that want to fish, they may call me, and I may have to... It's amazing. We don't do that with our little league ball. We don't do that with a football. We don't do that with anything else in life. Make a commitment others can count on. I will be there. Number five. And here's maybe the most practical point of the whole message. Serve those around you by being hospitable. Right where you're seated is your First place to begin serving. 
by being hospitable to the people that are around you. Look back into our text at verse 9. We didn't focus on the text, but just look at it. Verse 9. Be hospitable to one another. And how does it say to do it? Without grumbling. Without grumbling. Do you realize that people are sitting around you today that need ministry? People are sitting around you today that need someone to pray for them. They need someone to be interested in them. They need someone that cares about them. They need someone to speak a word of encouragement to them. We don't come to church and just sit in the pew and watch everybody walk by us. We look for opportunities to say, I want to be a blessing to you. And if they're new, hey, the bathrooms are back here and there's a water fountain out here. And if you need somebody, something you don't know, at the round table back here, or you start explaining to them and helping them to feel comfortable and to feel at home. Have you ever been into somebody's house you've never been before? And you feel awkward, you're afraid to touch anything because you don't know, you know what you should and you shouldn't touch and you don't know how welcome you are yet? You realize that there are people who walk in amongst us every single Sunday And some of us just walk right by them. And we don't recognize that our ministry begins right where we're seated, being hospitable to those that are around us, getting to know their names, looking for them every week, offering a word of encouragement to them and letting them know they're important to our church and they're valued in our ministry. Serve those around you. By the way, you do that without without complaining without grumbling. You know how it is when your husband says, I'm, I've got company coming home and he didn't tell you? And you know what happens next? It could be the opposite. It could be the wife bringing somebody home and the husband doesn't know. But what happens? Oh, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you explain to me somebody was coming? I, I could have gotten things ready. We could have made the... You know, you start grumbling. We don't do it with Grumbling. We do it with thanksgiving that we get to reach out to others around us and be hospitable to them. This morning, we want to make available to you a sheet of paper as you go out. You can pick it up. You can download it online. But it lists some of the areas where we need help. This isn't a complete list. There are dozens of things underneath some of these categories. These are areas where you'd like to help. Say, I'd like to... Talk to somebody about getting involved in serving in our ministry, going to work, uh, being involved in what God is doing in our church. And you take it home and you look at it and you pray over it and you fill it out and you give it back as quickly as possible and somebody will get in touch with you and they'll talk to you about those tasks. Please understand, if you like to work with children or teenagers, there's some process that you have to go through. The world in which we live You have to be careful who's working with your children and your teenagers. So there's a process that you have to go through. Don't get offended. Everybody has to go through that process. Everybody has to go through that process. But there are lots of opportunities and lots of availability for you to get involved. And here's what I'd really like to ask you to do when we're dismissed in just a moment, just a few moments. Brother Tim Yates is going to be right back here in the lobby behind you. You may not know yet where it is you'd like to plug in, but I'd like you to go by and say, Brother Tim, count me in. Just count me in. He's going to take your name down. We're going to count you in. We're going to mark you down as a part of the team. We're going to contact you and say, look, these are things that we need. But by the way, one of the the greatest categories on this list 
You can't see this, but I hope you will see it. Right down here it says, willing to fill a need. No specificity to it. If you need me, I'm here. Call me. I'm ready. I'm willing. I'll do whatever you need me to do. Willing to fill a need. Wouldn't it be great if everybody in our church did their part, used their gift to minister to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, those with speaking gifts, those with silent gifts, working behind the scenes, doing their work as unto the Lord for the glory of God and for the advancement of his church in this world. Wouldn't it be great if every person took the responsibility and said, I want to be a part of what God is doing in this world through his local church. And by the way, the local church is God's plan A, and there is no plan B. The local church is God's plan A. Let's get plugged in, folks. We've had summer to have times of rest. We had a year off in COVID. We had 2021 trying to rebuild and get people reactivated. It's time for us to go to work, and let's see our church reaching people and ministering to people. But that takes as many of you as possible giving yourself to service.